Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the Training for Influence podcast. Our aim is to help you deliver the best training possible. We'll be exploring how to make the most of every single second in a training session and how to deliver training so that it has added influence. You'll be hearing from me, Tammy Banks, and I'll be chatting with Training for Influence graduates, facilitators and experts who can speak to each of the steps. Expert, tailored, engaging and values-led. We hope you find these podcasts really beneficial. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking to Dr. Sarah Lewis. Sarah undertook the academic review of the Training for Influence methodology, which you can read in full on our website. Sarah is the director of an amazing organisation changing lives every day called Penal Reform Solutions. I only met Sarah last year, but we instantly connected because of a shared vision to create long-term, sustainable and transformative change. That's why, whilst nervous at first, I asked her if she would assess our methodology from a theoretical perspective. In this podcast, we talk about that assessment and you will hear a lot about why we're passionate about this subject and seeking creative solutions to really change lives. Thank you very much for joining me today, Sarah. It's fantastic to have you here. Really happy that we've got past all the tech difficulties and actually we might be able to record now. So that'd be brilliant. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Bring it on. Bring it on. So, Sarah, do you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and I guess what you do and how you heard of Training for Influence? I guess a little bit about who I am. I'm a bit of a bit of a hybrid, really, in terms of the different roles I play. So I was trained as a criminologist. So I was previously been an academic and kind of identified myself very much as a prison reformer. But I guess as we've moved forward with that and developed that, I've very much kind of become more of an ambassador for growth. So I really value the ideas we have around growth and human potential and human development. So. I work within an organisation, so I'm the director of Penal Reform Solutions and also the founder of the Growth Alliance, which of course you are a member of, which is brilliant. And I guess our work is all about just working with people to support the growth of others. So whether that's individuals or whether that's organisations, but we are dedicated to creating a growth culture, I guess, across organisations and, and communities. So that's the kind of stuff I do. And in terms of how I found out about Training for Influence, so I met you, it must be about a year ago, I, I think, yeah. in a bit of a hectic meeting, but it was absolutely joyful. And I guess from that moment on, we kind of connected and we kind of shared our visions in terms of, I guess, creating products that basically do influence, that make a difference. And from that, I was privileged to be asked to write an academic paper that just really kind of explored what the academic literature says about those really kind of key threads that you have within training for influence so I did that and um, from that we've and now you're here and now we're here yeah so we've done kind of growth alliance together and that's great so yeah absolutely believe in it and I think even writing the chapter really reinforced my passion for the work that you're doing and the methodology in itself so um, I'm absolutely absolutely on board and convinced that it is something that will make a difference to people so that's why I'm here that's what it's all about. (laughs) Oh thank you sir it's so um, well you'll know that it's so nice for me and reaffirming to hear you say that and I guess going back to a couple of different things that you've said first of all just about the penal reform just to let listeners know that we're going to put all of the details about your wonderful organization and what you do and the change that you help people make and within our show notes so if anybody wants to follow up and find out a little bit more about the penal reform then all the details will be there 
the other thing I want to say about the Growth Alliance is we're actually doing a Growth Alliance podcast straight after this as well. So if you're listening to this one and you've not heard of Growth Alliance, then you need to be downloading and subscribing to that straight afterwards because, yeah, it's going to be me and you talking on that but to a slightly different subject. And then for me, that meeting that we had that you described as kind of a slightly slightly busy, crazy meeting in in central London with actually a meeting with lots of very positive people all on a programme of growth, really, wasn't it? And lots of different organisations that are just doing some really good work. And as we were going around and talking to the subjects that are dear to our hearts and what we're trying to achieve, both me and you, we'd only just seen each other across the room. We were just nodding along with each other, weren't we? <laughs> when yeah, you were, absolutely. You were <laughs> talking about what penal reform do and talking about growth alliance and your your real investment and belief in the ability that we all have to grow within our life and how to support that across the sector. And I remember listening to you talking about the work that you're doing at Penal Reform and just being blown away by not only the passion and the dedication, but how informed it was by best practice and guidance. Because there is a lot of good work going on, lots of fantastic work going on, in fact. Actually, one of the things that is sometimes missing is actually that real kind of being informed by that best practice and that academic research and then connecting that with real life. Mm. And sometimes one of my frustrations is that I come across a lot of academics, which are brilliant academics, and I come across a lot of practitioners who are brilliant practitioners actually never the twain shall meet and actually for services and for service users to be able to have the absolute best opportunity when they're working with a practitioner it needs to also have some of that evidence it needs to be informed by evidence as well and that's what was really important for me when we were developing the methodology so when you were talking about your experience over in Norway and then the stuff that you're doing in the prisons and the direction that you're going in it literally spoke to me so when I first asked you to do that academic review and have a look and assess the methodology from that theoretical basis, honestly, I was a little bit nervous. And I was a little bit nervous because actually you could have said anything, Sarah. And at that yeah. point, we didn't have a deep relationship. I knew your background. You knew a little bit about mine. And I asked you to go through that process and, and you could have said anything. So I was nervous. And yeah. so to receive it back and how you explain things and how you explored each of the elements from that theoretical perspective was just fantastic so I'm so grateful for you taking the time to do that and I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about that process really how you found it and I guess connect to some of the things that you just said there about as you read that why you then became more convinced about the methodology and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think when you asked me to do the chapter, I think there's something there about we work in a culture that's generally around kind of competition. And I kind of think we need to move away from that. If we are going to make a significant difference, we've got to move away from that. And I think the great thing about the methodology that you've got there is that I already saw the academic literature that was attached to that and already knew that it was justified in that sense. So in some senses, it was about that kind of investigation in terms of going into that kind of academic literature and, and creating that rationale. But, um, you know, looking at the work that we do, it's so important for frontline staff, for service users, for sector, for organisations, for society, that we create meaningful training that makes an impact. And I think that has a big impact on people in terms of the purpose, you know, their purpose and their meaning. And that's something that's important when it comes to us in terms of our principles of growth as well. So I think there's a lot of organisations out there that are competing and I absolutely get that that's the climate and that's the culture that we've got. But we need to do something different if we're going to bring about kind of transformation. So, so yeah, 
I was just going to say, I completely agree with you. That's what I love about the Growth Alliance. That's what I love about training for influence. I kind of quite often get on my um, podium with my hands on my hips and say, for goodness sake, there is no room for competition in this sector. Mm -hmm. It is about collaboration, supporting each other and really being able to share what works to have that added influence, that added impact. So it's great. And I get what you're saying about the fact that, of course, the climate encourages competition. I feel like we're um, a little bit radical in the sense of we're pushing against that and actually lots of the training for influence stuff the whole reason I wrote it in the book actually was so that people don't have to come on the accredited course to be able to use the principles they can Mm. pick up the book and run with it and have that major influence and apply the method to the training that they're already delivering without Mm. actually needing to I guess pay out any money go through any process or anything like that they have that option and I I do just like you I kind of go there is no room for competition that's Mm. not what it's about yeah, there's a bigger cause at stake, really. And, and there's plenty of work. Let's face it, there's plenty of work to go around. And I think together we can do that. And that accessibility is really important. And, you know, we talk about that kind of distance between academia and the shop floor, as we would call it. And I think there's lots and lots of people that are more willing to do that, but maybe don't have the access or don't have the opportunities. So when I've approached pretty much all the academics that I've approached and said, would you be up for coming into the prison and doing a conference? You know, we've done that a couple of times and people are really on board. So I kind of think it's just about setting that precedent, isn't it? And and being activists in that field, really, because knowledge has to be accessible because people deserve it. You know, in terms of the day-to-day stuff that the professionals are going through, they deserve to have that knowledge to inform them so that they don't suffer from mental health or they don't burn out or they don't know what to do. It's a vehicle by which they can become informed professionals, which is something I feel really passionately about. And then uh, they, they can do the exact same for the academics in the sense of they can take the academics' work and theories and evidence and actually apply it to real life. And there's nothing more fulfilling from somebody, you know, I'll know and you'll know even more than I do. Do you know, when you study for a long time and you put your heart and soul into something, actually what you want to see is it making a difference. And yeah. so it, it kind of goes both ways. The practitioners really work well with academics and evidence and such like to really bring it alive and show the difference that it can make on the ground. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think it is about that in terms of being an expert. I think, you know, that's one of the, you know, principles of your methodology, isn't it? That it's about being the expert and what that looks like, how lived experience doesn't necessarily mean that you've been in prison or that you've committed a crime and you've got that lived experience, but practitioners have lived experience. And I think it's about broadening that out and saying, you know what, as a group of experts that have been there and lived it and been on the shop floor, I think that's absolutely invaluable stuff storytelling is such a powerful way in which we grow and we need to make stuff real we need to be able to translate it from maybe the kind of academic language into something that's really accessible so I think that focus on experts delivering the training to grow more experts is a really important thing yeah no I completely agree and you'll know because you've heard me front on about the fact that the methodology really has been developed I guess in my mind I kind of call it and in the book I call it a creative solution so like you I've worked in the sector for years and truly loved every role that I've had actually but also my frustration has increased year upon year about the difference we could make if there was more opportunity if there was more money if there was more flexibility you know so many different perspectives there's so much good work that's out there but unfortunately the lay of the land at the moment is that we are quite restricted in what we can provide and so training for influence developed as a bit of a creative solution so it's a methodology specifically that can be applied to any training 
so that it then has that added influence and the reason we did that is so that the training that is mandatory training as well that is happening within prisons within charities within probation within social care etc the training that is mandatory we can work with people to support them so that they can deliver it using the training for influence methodology which Mm. then helps us to have that added influence that being said you know it is applied to lots and lots of specialist courses as well but my way of sneaking it through the door to be able to have that influence on some of the frontline practitioners that maybe really do from an organization perspective have their back against the door with regards to actually time available for training or money available for training they might really want to actually book something specialist but just cannot justify the time or money because of the situation that they're unfortunately currently in so actually let's overlay this methodology so that the mandatory training that they're having still gives that added influence from the perspective particularly from that real values led perspective yeah when we developed the um, methodology you'll know because i've told you previously that we did the analysis from the tay training courses and the impact that it was having there and then we pulled out the four different elements and that is expert so in two different ways that real key operational expert and then also having those expert facilitation skills. And then we had tailored, so very much about being tailored to the organisation, to the sector, to the legislation, but also to the delegates in the room, the concerns that they have, and the service users in particular that they're going to be working with, and the complexities that they might be experiencing at that moment. And then we've got the engaging, so all of the um, learning styles. You would have probably loved all of the connected theories in the book explaining why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And then we talk very much about that golden thread, don't we? So we talk about mm-hmm. the golden thread that connects it all together, which is about delivering training from a values-led perspective, but yeah. from a multifaceted values-led perspective. So values-based decision-making, but also valuing yourself as an individual, so that emotional resilience, mm-hmm. particularly for the frontline workers. And valuing your service users as well and really recognizing that if we really want to support growth, going back to what we were saying earlier, to support mm. growth and change. And actually, we need to recognize we're on the same journey here and we yep. need to value people how we want to be valued as well. That's kind of a bit of a whistle stop overview. Would you mind taking me back and talking me through, I guess, your academic analysis and evaluation of each of those points? Yeah. I guess um, looking at it firstly in terms of an expert perspective and having that kind of operational experience when delivering, I think on a general view, I guess beforehand, it's like you say, it's a methodology, but it's about how we do things rather than what we do. And I think the content is really important, like you say, in terms of mandatory topics or whether that's specialist topics, but how we do it, how we build those relationships, how we connect with people is really important. So we talk a little bit about that within the chapter and we talk a little bit about by having that level of experience that you can bring into the session, not only does that give an individual purpose in terms of the person who's delivering it, but it is that legitimacy, it is about raising the legitimacy because invariably if we get trainers that haven't got that experience, then people that are being trained can sometimes say, well, how do you know? You don't know how difficult it is. You don't know, you know, you haven't been there, you haven't done it, you haven't got the t-shirt really. So I think there's something about the legitimacy that comes with those that have got operational experience and whether for me that's including people who have lived in prison or, or been on probation or been connected with punishment in some senses or criminal justice I think then looking at that kind of tailored approach, I think for me, there's something about understanding the needs of individuals and seeing people in terms of what those needs are and being responsive to it. 
and we know that the more you tailor something to an individual then the, the more meaningful that ultimately it is so i think there's something there about recognizing what's the needs in the room and how we can design that in through that process how we can design that in in terms of making something really powerful I think there's also something there in terms of engaging. So I think learning is really exciting. And I think there's a number of training. You know, I know that there's a training. I don't know if they still have it within prisons, but it's basically an online diversity training where you have to read something on your own and then do a quiz. You can do the quiz as many times as you want. And then you tick a box that you are now diversity trained. And I kind of think it's so important to not lose relationships. You know, I absolutely, I'm up for online learning, absolutely. But I think the relationships still need to be there. And that's how we engage people. We inspire and we motivate and we connect with people. And by narrowing that gap in terms of that relational distance, I think that creates a safe environment to talk. And I think invariably when you're working with frontline staff, sometimes people don't know what they want to talk about because of, you know, maybe being macho or maybe thinking that everything's fine or, you know, not being able to kind of disclose the difficulties that they're experiencing. But by creating and engaging in a safe space to learn I think enables people to then talk about the things that really matter and I think that's the stuff that's influential. That's exactly the point is about giving people that safe space to actually be able to explore with some colleagues or some people in a similar situation Mm. but in a different place in their journey in their career in their working life because then we all have those different frames of references and I, I do have a real issue with online learning and actually you won't have seen but there's been an added chapter to the book mm-hmm. which is literally about applying the training for influence method to live online learning mm-hmm. and at the beginning of that chapter I have a real rant about static e-learning and your example there is perfect because actually from the equality diversity and inclusion perspective I would mm-hmm. argue really similar to lots of the other courses that the methodology is applied to because it's working with people to really understand an EDI you need your current perspective challenged because actually your frame of reference might be that you've always lived in a certain area spent your time with certain people spoken a certain language have a certain culture etc etc and yes you can look on a screen that says here are all the protective factors and here are different diversity elements to cover And don't forget that this is the legislation and you need to operate within these parameters. And you can nod all the way through Mm. and you can click all those buttons and go back and do that quiz for the fourth time because you got the date wrong on the legislation or whatever it is. Actually, the way you treat people won't necessarily have changed. In fact, I'll be surprised if it has changed. Whereas if you're attending an equality and diversity course that is being delivered using the training for influence methodology, As you're talking, as you're kind of exploring those protective factors, there'll be some of those stories in there about different people with those protective factors. There'll be some of those engaging activities in there to really kind of heighten your emotions and connect you to the subject. There'll be people who have absolutely different experiences to you, absolutely different frames of references. And you'll be saying, well this is my perception in fact we have a when you go through the methodology on the accredited program there's lots of different examples that we've put in there to support people to adapt their courses and we've taken things from what's worked in tay training because obviously that's delivered the methodology for the last five years Mm. and one of the activities that's part of the pack that people get when they join and when we go through the engaging element of the method is an activity that is used on equality and diversity as an example and it's where the facilitator reads out some statements And the people on the course then make a determination within those statements, really, of what their opinion is. One of the statements is about a young man who has custody of his two-year-old daughter. 
and he's a recovering heroin addict and they have to say how concerned they'd be about this and they have to kind of stand on this continuum of concern and what that does as I'm sure you can imagine obviously it ticks our engaging perspective and the statements change depending on the organization so it ticks the tailored part but actually the really important part is the values led because what that does for equality and diversity is start that whole conversation about the fact that we all have different opinions on this of why do we have different opinions on this and what opinion is right are any of the opinions right and you know and so it's exactly what we're saying about that frame of reference that can't be explored in an e-learning module and if that member of staff if the only training that they're getting is that e-learning edi module then actually are they really increasing their understanding about equality and diversity and inclusion do you know that's my argument and i apologize for kind of interjecting there but when you gave that example i was like oh people still do this why Because the difference is it'll cost them £30 to do an equality and diversity e-learning, but actually they'll take nothing away from it. They put on an equality and diversity course that 15, 20 of their staff members can go on that is delivered by somebody who delivers using training for influence methodology. And actually their practices will change. Their understanding will change. The way that they support and value people will change. And actually they'll walk out really recognising how every day equality, diversity, inclusion is a key part of their role. It's not something that is just ticks off. So yeah, sorry, I just ran with that because it was such a good opportunity to go, oh, it drives yeah. me crackers. I think, like you say, it's that value-added stuff. And I think, you know, looking at that from a cultural perspective, we are in this period where it's all about short-term solutions and it's about getting what we've got to get done. And I think there's something there. If we want long-term transformational work, and I believe that is possible within our prisons, within community punishment, across criminal justice organisations, if we want sustainable, meaningful work, we're going to have to invest in people. You know, that's one of our principles in terms of what we do. And I kind of think all the time we don't, it's just a, it's a microwave solution, isn't it? It's a short-term fix. It's plaster on this slowly hemorrhaging system it's not even a short-term thing i look at the people we were talking just before we came live on the podcast about a variety of different organizations that are working within criminal justice and things like that and i look at some of the services that are being provided because they're quick and they're they're lower price and actually it's not even a short-term fix because they're not providing for the people right in front of them now so the people going through the system service users And I I say system because it's a systemized problem. Granted, there's pockets of literally phenomenal practice all over the place. But from a systemized perspective, there is a problem of austerity and short-term solutions. And it's frustrating because actually there is no fixed short-term either. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) And that's what they're not getting what they want anyway. I think in terms of, you know, they're being sold that dream, aren't they? And I kind of think. Like you say, it's not going to have the impact that people want. Not even for the frontline workers, because our frontline workers are burning out and leaving. Do you know, and some of them are amazing workers who absolutely have the right values and drive, but can't cope within the system anymore. So if we're not valuing our frontline workers who are an organisation's or a sector's biggest asset, how can we then expect them to value the service users that they're working with? It's about all of those elements connecting together, but ultimately to kind of keep feeding into that culture change, isn't it? It's really feeding into that culture change. Yeah, I think it needs to really... It's just so challenging. And I think, you know, the next 10 years, we don't really know what that's going to look like. But in terms of austerity, we're going to have a number of challenges ahead of us. And I think just logistically getting staff out of wings, let's say within a prison environment, getting them out of wings, we've got to lock an entire 
prison up for that day so those men and women are behind their doors for that day in order to deliver training you kind of think in terms of what the people behind the doors deserve and what the staff on the shop floor deserve they deserve for every minute of that training to be important and meaningful and i think if you're delivering training that doesn't give that kind of outcome the service deserves so much more and it's completely achievable it is completely achievable with the right values and the right vision and yeah. i think that's, that's the bit that's frustrating yeah, I completely agree. One of the things that we say in Training for Influence continually is that as facilitators, we really need to view it as a privilege to have somebody in our company for the next six or seven hours going through that learning process. Because actually, first of all, before anything else, it's six or seven hours out of somebody's life that they're never going to get back before yeah. we touch anything else. But then actually, bearing in mind that we work with people that work with people who usually have complex needs and or vulnerabilities, we're taking them away from their service users, the people that they would have seen that day, the lives that they would have potentially impacted that day. And then there's exactly what you're saying, you know, we're costing the organisation money, we're costing the sector, we're costing the taxpayer money, all of those different things. I always kind of say, it's a real privilege to have this time. So actually, it's our moral responsibility as facilitators to absolutely help people get everything they possibly need out of that session to be able to then go and deliver their services from an exceptional values-led perspective. And it's in some ways irrelevant of what the subject is because it's about actually how you deliver it and what you share within that delivery, what you role model I always say culture connections because I think that you sow seeds a little bit. With some organisations that use the training for influence methodology, they deliver like induction courses. So they're standard courses, but it means that they see the same people four or five times over the course of a year. And if every time that they're seeing them, they're going from that values-led perspective, they're meeting their needs, they're building their emotional resilience and supporting them to really see what's the most effective and positive way to work with people. They're getting those little droplets in, which means even in their day job, when there will be frustrations and complexities and potentially they could be cross about some of the austerity measures and all of those type of things by still having that touch point five or six times a year to help them build that emotional resilience, connect them back to their values and their why, and just deliver from that perspective and put them with some of their colleagues and help them learn from some of the people who've been around the circle a few times and also take some of that really fantastic excitement and exuberance from somebody new to the sector as well. Really connecting that together without doing anything else is really powerful in itself as well. Yeah, we found from the training that we do on the growth project, what we found to be the most, I guess, rich experience of learning was when we co-facilitated it with prisoners. So it was around rehabilitation and building a rehabilitative culture. But I think the other thing that was really important for us was about trying to, based on the silo-based working that we see within prisons, trying to connect the prison up as a whole community. And so therefore having prison officers, but also having teachers or nurses or PEI instructors, whatever that may be, but a range of different roles within that. So the content would be the same, but through that methodology and through that process, people learn to understand each other's roles and build relationships across that prison. And like you say, for me, in any activity that we do, and I guess that's why I like this methodology the most in that sense, it's all about cultural change. It's got to end in that way. Training is one facet of that as is coaching, as is, you know, a number of different projects or campaigns or, or initiatives that go within that. But training is such a fundamental aspect of it because you're informing and you're showcasing and you're inspiring people with the academic literature and with legislation and with what's relevant for their job. 
I think all of that's important. If we want to have a values-based system, we need to nurture those values rather than maybe assume that they're there in the first place. But it is about that acceptance and about that openness to that and having that conversation. But I think there needs to be congruence. There needs to be an alignment between the way in which we see the world, our belief in change, you know, making that difference to our everyday practice. And I think that is the challenging thing. We can throw loads of training at people, but if it isn't continuously developed and if we don't have reflective spaces where people can reflect on the work that they've learned, then that stuff slowly erodes, that learning slowly erodes. And if the culture is dominant around you, it's a bit like planting something and having toxic soil. No matter how much I plant in that soil, the plant's not going to grow because we haven't got the environment around us that can sustain those lessons that are within training so culture is such a significant thing in terms of the effectiveness of training do you know everything you're saying there i'm like nodding along to it because you're saying everything that i feel and the exact reason why i ended up developing this methodology was because it is about that continual message and to always go in from that same position. I'd love to think that we could get the sector to really invest in long-term growth training, specifically recognising how that would change the culture. And I don't think I will ever stop banging that drum because it is so important. But the methodology was derived specifically to be a creative solution because of how much when you're banging that drum, the door is shut in your face. And sometimes it's about eking that door open, finding a way to get through and to start sowing those seeds of growth. I never set out to work in training, to own a training company or to develop a methodology. I've literally worked in the sector the last 20 years. So what I've done specifically is actually develop the methodology to be a conduit to actually help us to achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is that longer term impact. So it's about seeing what's out there, seeing what I can already take. Now, people are already having training. They're having to purchase in particularly the mandatory training. And it's like, okay, how can we use what they're already doing to actually have that added influence to sow those seeds? And interestingly, one of the things for me is that once an organization, going back to what you said about the added value, once an organization has a session that a facilitator delivers using the training for influence methodology, so far it's literally a hundred percent they never go back to other types of training because they want that as soon as they can see it they Mm. want that added value and quite often people kind of go well training to training and I I kind of go do you know you can make such a difference depending on how you present that training how you deliver that training how you engage and inspire people who you bring to the table the discussions you have And yes, actually, it might be about risk management or managing challenger behavior or safeguarding or whatever the mandatory sessions. But if you can do within that trainer, if a facilitator can use a methodology to bring that subject alive in the way that you mentioned about actually making it really applicable to their role and they can change the way that they're delivering their services the very next day. Actually, it brings the subject alive, but also the influence is starting to filter on through. And we have to start somewhere, don't we? We have to meet people at where they are on the journey. And some people don't realise that training can make such a difference. So it's about showing them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes we spend all our time trying to convince people how to do something. And I, I worked with an incredible psychologist when I worked to the Council of Europe. And she always said, you know, sometimes it's just about, do you know what? Just give it a go. Let's just give it a go. Let's, you know, I'm not going to try and convince you. Let's just give it a go and see what you think. And that's been our approach. When cultures are very fixed mindset in terms of this is never going to change, nothing's ever going to work. Part of me just says, let's just give something a go. Then let's research the impact of that. 
and you know we'll see what happens and, and that's not about getting to the end of it and saying see I showed you it did make a difference it's not like that at all it's just about saying do you know what there is hope in this things can change we can make a difference and by people feeling it and engaging their senses in that if they feel heard if they feel seen if they have that heart and that passion that starts igniting because it has been battered out of them over periods of, of a lack of training or a lack of support, then like you say, that's where we start. You know, we start at a place where we're at and just keep moving forward. And I think it's the incremental gain. It's the little things as well as the big things, but there is no option to not try in my book. You know, I will never give up. It's so important and people are so important. So yeah, exactly my sentiments. It is about people. The whole methodology is about people from the facilitators to the delegates, but actually ultimately we wrote it to have that impact on the service users. That's the place that it started and that's how and why it was designed. But actually the impact is across people at different levels and right across the organisation and the sector. But what I'm most passionate about is that actually that filters down and that culture change happens and the way that people deliver their services, they come from that values-led perspective. And ultimately the service user who actually potentially at that point when they're coming into contact with the staff member in whatever service it is, actually they could be at a really difficult time in their life and really need and deserve that real effective values-led expert support and delivery there. And I just think that everybody deserves that and should have that available to them. And it frustrates the life out of me that some people don't. Because actually that should, in my book, that should be a minimum standard. But you, yeah. when you wrote the review, you really went to town on the values-led Golden Fred part of it. I took from, when I read back the evaluation, I really took from that, that actually that was by far your favourite part. And you could see how that connected everything together. Mm. I think it is so important. And I think we know in terms of our lives, when you meet people that don't have the values, but are saying what they are meant to be saying, I think that authenticity is so important. And that honesty is really important. And it's about appropriate self-disclosure. It's about professional boundaries. It's about hope, having hope in a system. And I absolutely get that based on the systemic climate that we've got, that's kind of against the odds really sometimes, but it is so powerful. You know, when you look at stories of people that have desisted from crime, let's say, and you, you look at those stories, they can trace back significant people and significant events that have influenced them in such a way that it has contributed to that identity shift in terms of transforming their lives. And it's those individual stories, when you link it back to that, they are the people that, you know, we need to be training. They are the people we're training. And I kind of think, if you can do that, it completely revolutionises the role of prison officers or the role of probation officers, whatever that may be. If we can empower people and get them excited about the work that they do and know that they do make a difference in a positive way and a negative way, because ultimately their impact is permanent. So we want that influence to be positive. We do not want that influence to be negative because ultimately negative practice, whatever that kind of looks like, does harm. We're not in the job to do harm, in my view. We do everything on the basis that we do no harm, but also that we grow people. And that's not to say that mistakes don't get made, because of course they do. And we have ruptures in relationships, but it's the mending of that and the way in which we do that that's really important. And I think that takes skill and that takes therefore investment and that's what we need. And um, I guess the challenge over the next kind of in the future when the new normal kicks in, if it has already, I don't know, 
I kind of think we need to be thinking more creatively about how we deliver that because this idea that it costs a fortune, I don't think it does. I think it's it's more around, like you say, it's about adding value. It's about moving forward. And people are absolutely up for that. There are so many new officers going into the role that have joined the job to make a difference and are putting themselves at risk every day because they have not been trained properly. And I feel utterly passionate about that because that is not acceptable. That is not acceptable that that should be happening. That needs to be reviewed and people should not be put in those situations. In my book, we have ways to do that. You know, it's about growing people. That's the important yeah. That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Whoever that person is, actually, it comes down to growing people. Mm. And I guess a couple of things to kind of go back to that you said there, your example there about actually people change people's lives. I don't know if you've watched my TEDx talk, but that's exactly what I talk about there because it was one person who was a frontline practitioner at the right time. And she wasn't the only one, but she was the one in the right time, the right place that started off that shift in mindset for me and started off that domino effect that allowed me to then let other professionals into my life to support me in that way. And if she hadn't have been minded in that way, if she didn't have the ability, the confidence, the values, or if she'd had a really bad morning and didn't want to talk to anybody and didn't have the skills or resilience to be able to put that aside and act as a professional within her role, you know, if any of those different things could have come into play, and actually we probably wouldn't be sat here having this conversation today. So I value the difference that one individual can make and recognise that above everything else and I think that plays to what you were saying afterwards which connects kind of to the methodology it's about looking at what's out there now and actually how can we add value to it how can we make it better how can we use some of the mechanisms that are there now of course we always want to and I don't think you or I will ever stop aspiring to get to that yes we want everybody to actually have a full growth package of training within different services etc and I think we're always going to aspire to that but actually if we can get the door open by looking at what they're already providing now and how we can add value to that and how we can train trainers to use a methodology that means they train differently but also they connect together if you're delivering training for influence in the sessions you do Tay are doing it in the sessions that they do all of the other people that have come through and all of the other organizations that have come through the accreditation or read the book are doing it in the ways that they do actually collectively the difference we can make because we're all coming from that exact values-based perspective I just think is so exciting you know it really really excites me yeah it's all part of that movement isn't it and I think it's about including everyone within that when we started the Growth Alliance, one of the sole purposes of is to initiate a social movement that includes everyone. And I think a lot of the time I hear that people don't really care a lot about criminal justice because it doesn't have an impact on them. You know, they go through life and it doesn't influence them. And I kind of think, you know, we need to start recognising that it does. Absolutely. In terms of just how you feel when you're walking down a high street. That is criminal justice, isn't it? It's about that people matter, ultimately. And it's about that understanding of where people have come from and what experiences they've had. And that maybe the level playing field is not equal when people are growing up. And why it's important. Why is it relevant? And it is absolutely relevant in terms of feeling safe, in terms of healthy communities, in terms of cultures that support growth within communities. I think it's, it's everyone's issue, but everyone's part of the solution as well. And I think that's the exciting thing is that if we start to join these dots up, you know, our connection campaigns are all about that. You join up connections and you illuminate hidden voices or you illuminate people that are sometimes forgotten. So at the moment we're doing one with prisoners' families 
and that's the important bit I think that there's so much unheard and unseen but there lies the solutions I think because once you ask the questions people have an idea people know what needs to be done and that goes back to those experts doesn't it when you look at prison reform the people that know how to reform that prison are the experts within their wings or the experts in their departments or the people that speak to within homeless shelters or charities or whatever they are the people that know how to move things forward and with support and through a methodology that is values-based and tailored to them then they can be empowered to do so and I think it's about equipping people isn't it it's about giving people the fishing rod that's what it's all about yeah absolutely so I'm really grateful for you giving me your time today. I think one of the things that I want to say to listeners is if you want to um, know a little bit more about the academic underpinnings to the methodology or some of the theories that connect and explain, please do go to the website and read um, Sarah's review and read the elements in the book as well. And you can get all of that background and that analysis and evaluation that Sarah went through when she was really kind of looking at the methodology and I guess picking it apart a little bit and seeing whether it works, whether it connects together and whether the elements are important. And then Sarah, it'd be really good from my perspective if you wouldn't mind giving me your thoughts with regards to the impact the methodology and people using training for influence could potentially make to, I guess, an individual and then individuals connected together as well. Yeah. I think maybe there are themes that go across all, you know, when we think about kind of micro service user all the way through to kind of macro cultures in the sector at large. But I think at the moment, in terms of my work that I've done, hope is such a significant factor because hope energizes people and it motivates people. And I kind of think for me, this methodology and the way in which it engages people and inspires people and really gets to the root of things in a really individualized way that enables people to feel seen, whether that's a service user, frontline practitioner, or organisations kind of more broadly. But I think it initiates hope. And I think that's what needs to happen. I think when you look across criminal justice, whether, you know, I spoke to social workers last week, prison officers, probation officers over the last couple of weeks, people are tired. They're really tired. The jobs are relentless. Some people have lost that hope. And I think you know, I'd love to see this methodology be that injection of hope into the sector at large. And I guess that's down to the appetite of the people at the top, isn't it, in terms of whether they want to commission that. But I would absolutely recommend that on the basis that I think hope is really, really important right now, particularly as we recover from COVID and we start mending and healing as a collective and making sense of what's gone on. And I think it is about connecting people up, giving people what they ultimately do deserve, which are, in my mind, those kind of principles of growth. So having meaning, having purpose, getting up in the morning and feeling that they're making a difference, recognising the successes that they're making and being recognised for those. So we can create a secure community. It is one part of a larger mission, but I think it can make a significant impact if it is allowed to. That's where we probably need to do the work in terms of highlighting to those people that can be really influential and have got the power to open doors. We would absolutely jump through it. But um, I think it's about them recognising what do they want. If they want the short term, not even a solution, as we've concluded, you know, if they want to continue to get a 10% attrition rate in terms of people leaving the sector, and that's with prison, I guess, from my perspective, if they want to keep losing people and spending money on recruitment, and spending money on mental health and people going off stress and 
all of the stuff that goes with that in terms of impacts that then has on people's families and friends, then that's a matter for them, isn't it? But, you know, I kind of think with a little bit more imagination and a little bit more bravery, we can do something that is, you know, is straightforward in terms of what we're pitching here. This isn't rocket science. I mean that really respectfully. It is the fundamental stuff. It is humanity in its purest form. And yet we've lost it along the way. So therefore, implementing that is absolutely achievable. It's up to us to create doors that we can go through, but also for people to consider opening them and trying something new. Yeah, and I say exactly the same. You know, I laughed when you said it isn't rocket science. I use that phrase regularly and say it really isn't rocket science Mm -hmm. at all, particularly when I refer to this methodology. It is about the fact of looking at that added value and looking for those creative solutions. So mm. not even costing the commissioner any more time or any more money because it's overlaid on stuff that they're already having to provide now. So yeah. it is specifically from that creative solution. We're not asking anybody to um, do anything significantly different or out of the ordinary or put their head above the parapet. We're asking mm. them that when they book training to book training delivered by a facilitator that delivers using this methodology. Or if they have internal facilitators, internal trainers within the organisation, then putting them through the course so the sessions they then deliver in the future bring that added value. So yeah, so we'll keep fighting the fight, Sarah. It's been lovely talking to you. Really grateful for you doing the analysis and review and we'll continue working together and you will continue delivering using the methodology as well. So that's brilliant. Thank you very much. No problem, no problem. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found this podcast both useful and enjoyable. If you'd like to access any of the free resources mentioned, assess your training against the methodology, or find out more about the Train the Trainer programme, please head to our website, trainingforinfluence.co.uk. And to finish, I'd just like to say, I truly believe that facilitating training is both an opportunity and a privilege. So thank you for recognising that effective, values-led training can make a real difference to delegates, to organisations, and ultimately to people accessing frontline services.